The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. I, I don't get uh, starstruck at all, really, uh, but tonight I am a little bit. Because tonight we're going to be talking with former Navy SEAL Will Chesney. Will was one of the dozen Navy SEALs that participated in the raid that ended up killing Osama bin Laden. This is a, an important uh, moment in history that took place, and Will was part of it. But not just Will. Will was actually a canine handler, a dog handler for the Navy SEALs. And his dog, whose name was Cairo, was also involved in the raid. And Will's story with Cairo doesn't start there. It doesn't end there for sure. And it's an inspiring story. And if you're a an animal lover, particularly a dog lover, you're going to really, really appreciate how important these military dogs are and the job they do and how they work not just during combat missions, but uh, and they're quote-unquote off time as well. Make sure you join us on YouTube so that you have an opportunity not only to participate in all of the back episodes that are there, but you can also participate in the live stream and the chat room that accompanies the live stream. Go to YouTube, search for JV Johnson. When you find it, subscribe. Also hit the notification icon so that you get notified when we go live or upload additional content, bonus materials. There's about 500 back episodes there for you to um, listen to, watch, whatever. It's the audio that's important for sure. Uh, also, the podcast version of the show is available on all major podcast networks. I happen to look tonight at the uh, breakdown of who, who, where people are getting the show as a podcast and where they're listening. And I found out that uh, a couple things. One is the majority of people listen on Apple devices, which is not unusual. They get the get the show from Apple podcasts. Uh, but um, in addition to the United States, we've got a tremendous listenership in the UK. Thank you so much. Germany as well. The Netherlands. Much of Europe, Canada, of course. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to us, especially if you're listening overseas. It's a real honor that you take the time out to listen to what we have to say here. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Share the show, whether you watch it on YouTube or you listen to it as a podcast. Share it on your social media. Put the links up. Recommend it to your friends. Hopefully we'll get a whole uh, new bunch of people coming in and joining us. That's going to do it for my preamble here. Let's go to break and get our guest on the line. Again, tonight we're talking with Will Chesney, former former Navy SEAL. He's an author. He's written a book that we're going to talk about tonight. It's called No Ordinary Dog, My Partner, From the SEAL Teams to the Bin Laden Raid. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for joining us tonight. As I said, I don't get starstruck very often, actually at all. But tonight I'm, in, I'm a bit in awe. Our guest tonight, uh, Will Chesney, is the author of a book called No Ordinary Dog, My Partner from the SEAL Teams to the Bin Laden Raid. And he served in the United States Naval Special 
Warfare Development Group as an operator and dog handler, and he participated in Operation Neptune's Spear, which resulted in the death of Osama bin Laden. Chesney received a Silver Star and a Purple Heart, and he now helps veterans who've suffered traumatic brain injury. Will, uh, welcome to Beyond Reality. It is such an honor to have you with me tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate that. And I would also like just to to thank you for your service. I don't think we uh, say that enough as Americans, and I don't think you get the um, appreciation that you deserve. Maybe you feel differently, but I certainly want you to know that I appreciate, and my audience completely appreciates uh, the work you did and the service to our country. Uh, it is very much appreciated here on this program. Well, thank you very much for that. I so, appreciate it. Too. So this is an amazing story, and. You know, we have about 90 minutes together tonight, and I'm not sure we're going to be able to cover it all, but there are so many places we can go. But let's learn a little, about, little bit about you first. Give us uh, an idea of how you decided to become a Navy SEAL. That's not something everybody's up to the task of. You decided to do it, accomplished it. Give us, uh, give us the basics of how it started for you. Yeah, we, uh, I grew up in southeast Texas, and... Uh, I knew as a kid I wanted to serve my country, and I guess around maybe middle school, I, I decided I wanted to be a SEAL. I I wanted to test myself to see if I had what it took to make it through the training, and um, I love the water. So mm-hmm. I also heard that SEAL training was some of the hardest training in the world, so I wanted, like I said, I wanted to see if I had what it took. And yeah, there wasn't much I wanted to do after high school. I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to go to college. I didn't really feel the... Uh, there wasn't really anything I wanted to go to school to study. I wanted to. I'm more of a hands-on guy, and uh, I you know, a, lot, a good choice. To yeah, yeah. A, a lot of people would look at uh, what you just said and say, "Wow, that sounds like a lot of work." I'm not so sure I want to get involved in that. Even if they decide to go into the military, to actually target uh, getting into the Navy SEALs and going through that kind of training. I mean, it takes a real special person to recognize that as a challenge they want to even attempt, let alone succeed at. Um, did you see something along the way in your childhood that made you decide that uh, this was something you wanted to aspire to? Yeah, I uh, you know, watched the movies and I read the books, you know, all the sealed books I could get my hands on. But they definitely uh, make you want it. It was something that um, I said I didn't want to go to college. I didn't, there wasn't anything I was really passionate about studying, but I was uh, figured I found something I really wanted to do. Something I was I didn't I didn't have to get paid for. Something I was uh, basically willing to die for. And uh, they make you earn it when you're there. Wow. Well, good for you and good for us that there are people like you that are willing to take that on. Tell us a little bit about the training. What What do you have to do to become a Navy SEAL? <laughs> There's all kinds of training. Buds. It's basic underwater demolition SEAL training. It's a six seven month selection process where you're um you can quit at any time it's a pretty intense selection process some say it's uh, some of the hardest military training in the world and i can see why they say that for sure it's um mm. yeah like i said it's six to seven months long of everything you need to you, know, you have to prove that you want to be there there's a a week in there called hell week uh there's three phases first second third phase in the first phase it's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people that quit during that phase, and uh, there's, a, there's a thing called Hell Week where it's five and a half days of no sleep, and uh, you're pretty much up the entire time running through all kinds of different 
evolutions or training exercises. And, uh, you know, you're doing log PT where you have to work as a team, carrying heavy logs around. And same thing with these pretty heavy rubber, boat, rubber boats we have. They're a couple hundred pounds. You have to run around with those on your head for uh, quite a while. Uh, by the end of Hell Week, I had a pretty big bald spot on top of my head. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> from, from the hair being rubbed out. So it's quite intense. But, you know, you have the way I look at it is it's a, it's a very intense job. You have to prove to them you want to be there. You have to be um, willing to lay on your life for your uh, for your friend, for your brother. You can't just yeah, because want to be a You have to prove it. Just n- not only do you have to uh, want to be there and are you, are you willing to give up your life for your country, but you need to be able be willing to give up your life for your fellow soldier, I would imagine. And you have to expect they would do the same for you, right? Yeah, of course. No doubt. Wow. Yeah. Um, in addition to being uh, a, a significantly mentally challenging, to be able to focus, like you said, to go through a hell week where you don't uh, you don't sleep for five days and you're expected to perform still, it's, it's also very physically demanding. Are there people that just aren't physically able to do it? Yeah, definitely. They say... Uh... Definitely want to show up to Bud's prepared. So hard to do some research before you just show up. But yeah, a lot of guys just don't show up in shape. But there's good programs out there these days that'll uh, that'll get you prepared for Bud's. But a lot of it's just mental. Anybody can pretty much get in shape for Bud's. Well, maybe not anybody, but you know you can get in good good shape. But you have to mentally want to be there as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, from someone who's done it, I mean, you you can say that because you've gone through it. I, I imagine there are a lot of people that can't survive the mental part of this. I mean, I just imagine that's the case. Of of, of all the people that get it, go into the program, what's the what's the success rate? I mean, if for every one that that ends up at the other end uh, successfully, how many have dropped out? Is there any kind of statistics like that? I think it's about eighty percent attrition rate. Eighty percent, eighty percent leave. Yeah, eighty percent leave. Wow, wow! So two in ten, or one in five, actually make it to the end. I think that's about a rough estimate. So you, you uh, obviously you did this, which very commendable, and, and you're to be uh, congratulated on just making it through that. But then, as you get into this Navy SEAL program, you are introduced to the canine part of this program. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, while you're while as a SEAL, you have other responsibilities as well. You know, like I was drawn to being a SEAL. While you're in there, you just kind of go after whatever job you're drawn to, whether it's skydiving or sniper. There's all kinds of different areas you went in diving. But one of my first deployments with my squadron, I saw how valuable of a tool these dogs were. There's the saying in the book. You know, I, was, I remember being in the team room once and. Somebody said, raise your hand if a dog has ever saved your life. And, you know, basically everybody's hand in the room went up. And not only did they have one story to tell, but multiple stories usually. And um, I got to see just how valuable they were. And once I did that, I just made myself more available. And I figured um, if I could make myself more valuable and, you know, if I could use my dog to help one of my teammates possibly save his life or save save him from getting injured, then I was... uh, was willing to take on the responsibility. When that question was asked in that room and you said everybody raised their hand saying that a dog had saved their life at some point, were you were they talking about in a, in a military operation? Yeah, the dogs are real valuable. 
So, so these, a lot of, yeah. So these soldiers, these these were were men uh, who had been involved in in some type of mission or, or de- uh, had their life at risk, and a dog saved their life during one of these missions. Yeah, whether finding somebody hiding or finding explosives. Were you a, were you a dog lover or an animal lover prior to joining the Navy SEALs? I was. I had dogs growing up, big dogs and small dogs. I, uh, I still have dogs today. I'm a huge dog person. That's why I was drawn to the job. Not everybody's dog because is a dog person, and uh, I was. I was willing to, you know, not if you're not being used, you have to sit there with a dog and kind of babysit an animal. So it's a lot of responsibility to take on a dog, and uh, but I love dogs. So when you go into the canine program as a Navy SEAL, are you par- partnered up or paired up with a single animal for the entire time you're involved, or at least at least the entire time that particular animal is in service? Yeah, usually. It just depends on uh, how well y'all are working together, but if y'all work as a good pair, then we'll probably handle the same dog. Are dogs involved in most Navy SEAL operations or selected operations? They have to be pretty much prepared to go wherever we go. So they go through quite a rigorous selection process as well. These are high-caliber working dogs. They um, not only have to be willing to go into a room and fight somebody twice as big as them at night, they got to be around. They have to be comfortable, you know, skydiving, um, oh, fast roping. They have, to, they have to be comfortable around gunfire and explosions. So these are amazing animals, and they're, uh, they go through quite a selection process. Tell me about the selection process. First of all, there are certain breeds that are that are really there's only a few uh, select breeds that can actually handle this type of thing, or can it be any any breed of a dog? There's different types of working breeds. For us, we like <clears throat> we like to use the Belgian Animal. Sometimes, uh, you know, Shepherds are great working dogs as well. Just they're a little bit bigger. They get up to like 120 pounds, and their hair is a little bit longer. And, we work in hot environments sometimes, and the, uh, having a smaller Belgian Malinois can just be a little easier to handle for having to hoist them up and getting them into small places. So once you've selected a dog that's going to go through this kind of training, um, what, what do you put them through? I mean, you mentioned things like skydiving and, and rope, uh, zip lining or something. I mean, these are things that's difficult for a human to do, let alone a dog. Yeah, we have great trainers that uh, make the selection when they they go purchase the dogs. They put them through their own little set of tests to kind of see what the dog's temperament is and if he's if he's a good fit. And then once we receive them, you know, they just have to make sure they're comfortable around all the guys and around gunfire, helicopters, and all the all the stuff that we're around all the time. I'm trying to even envision a dog being able to handle. It. I mean, I, I have I've had dogs as well, and you know, my dogs get spooked if you know if if somebody walks by the front porch. Um, is it is it a matter of just exposing them to these types of things and they learn how to accept it, or is there more to it than that? I'd say exposure has a lot to do with them. As a, I'm sure these puppies are, as they're raised, they're exposed to all kinds of different elements. And, you know, just like people, all dogs are different. All people are different. You know, more um, just because it's a working dog type breed, they still have to make it through certain tests in order to see well if they're going to be a proper fit for certain departments or military. As you're working with 
a dog and you're training this dog, does the dog train with the same team? And I don't know how large the SEAL teams are. Are they a dozen soldiers or is, does it vary? And does the dog get to know every one of the soldiers in the team? It varies. It can be like 20, 30 guys. And they get, we, um, it does get to know, all, yeah, we, we make sure all the members of the team are comfortable around all the dogs and all the dogs are comfortable around all the guys in the team. And there's a lot of hands-on training involved with the dog. The guys will pick the dogs up and help direct them. And just make sure everybody's real comfortable. And I imagine the dog has to know, you know, be able to, to, to judge a, a good guy from a bad guy, a friendly from an enemy. We definitely train that too, yeah. Is that just a recognition thing or is there more to it than that? It's just a training thing, just getting the dogs around the guys and yeah. making sure that they know who they are. We're, we're all one big kind of family. Right. We spend a lot of time together, even as you, know, as you can imagine. It's, it was my it was my family. We, we always trained together, lived together, did everything together. The dogs were part of that family. How long, you know, how, how long were you in active duty? I was uh, 13 years. Wow. Wow. Um, give us an idea of some of the missions some of the specific roles that the canines, that the dogs are trained for and that they go out on a mission for, what do you rely on them to do? We train our dogs for explosive odor and man odor. So when they're out on patrol, they're looking for any type of booby traps, uh, any IEDs, any ambushes that are set up, or any bad guys hiding in the ambush. Um, one of the reasons for kind of writing the book was you know, Cairo, the only thing people really know of, about Cairo is that he was part of you know, a big mission. He was shot even prior to the mission. He had uh, he'd been shot through his chest, and he had been shot through his leg where they had to put him on a plate. And, uh, so, yeah. Wow. A lot more to it than just the one big mission. And even after his retirement, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a whole lot of missions that we were on together. And uh, he, he really was a good dog. He was special to me, of course, but he had the temperament, we like to say, where he could turn it on and off. He could flip the switch. When he put on the vest, it was time for him to go to work. And he was a really good worker. He did his job. He did an amazing job. But when it was time to turn it off and take his vest off, he could almost be like a house dog. We always treated him with respect. Of course, these are working animals. And you always have to treat them with respect. But all the guys really loved him. He was, uh, he was a good dog. And he Even would, the guys that were allergic to him would pet him. <laughs> I imagine that's a bit of a challenge, too. Um, so, by the yeah. way, we, we didn't mention this before, but Cairo is, is the name of the dog that Will uh, tr- worked with. Now, did you name the dog Cairo, Will, or did someone else name him? No, he came pre-named, but I like it. He came, he came pre-named uh, from within the military or from outside the military? Now, wherever he was purchased from, he had already been named. I'm just curious because of you know what what you ultimately uh, did with Cairo and the missions that Cairo was on. It's a pretty uh, appropriate name, I would say. Yeah, I think it was a good name. A great name. So, uh, when Cairo took a bullet to the chest or the leg, that doesn't make a dog. unwilling to or skittish in some way to re-enter a, 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 any kind of mission where they can sense that same kind of danger? It's always a possibility. Um, uh, the people that put him through rehab did a very great job. I never saw really him show any signs of being shot other than, 
I guess towards the end of his life when he was retired, um, I would throw the ball for him, and you could see a slight hitch in his step. Yeah. But that was pretty much it. But other than that, we know we were nervous. You never know. But like I said, dogs like people, and everybody's different. He uh, made a full recovery. Were, were you do some really great things? Were you partnered with Cairo the the entire time Cairo was in active service, active duty? He was my dog for as long as I was a dog handler. Uh, when I was no longer a dog handler, he was a uh, he was still able to work. He became a great um, spare dog to kind of keep around. These dogs sometimes get injured or hurt. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need a, a dog to fill in. Tyler was a great dog. To, he was really uh, laid back and easy to, to handle. He was one of those dogs that are, I guess, is plug and play. <laughs> you know, he you still had to watch him and lead him in the right direction, but once you let him go, he, he did his job. He knew how to do his job well, and he was pretty low maintenance. Wow. Uh, all, for a tr- all for a treat and a pat on the head, right? Yeah, whatever makes the dog happy. He loved, you know, tennis balls. Jeez. Loved a pat on the head, too. Well, the Navy SEALs themselves, I mean, we know of a few big raids, big missions. You know, the the, the Osama bin Laden raid uh, obviously was very public after it happened. But how often are the Navy SEALs engaged in things that we're not aware of? I would say we stay pretty busy. <laughs> stay pretty You have to speak in code a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we definitely keep busy. Yeah. Um, Mod mission was definitely a big part of uh, one of our operations. Yeah, it's good to do. It's a piece of history. Like I said, I read books before I joined the before I joined the military. I think this is a great book for anybody that anybody loves animals, anybody loves dogs, anybody looking to join the Navy or be a, a dog handler. Yeah. It's a great, great book. Tell us why Cairo is different than other dogs. He really seemed to be special. What made him special? One of the things, like I said earlier, there's um, he had that switch where he could turn it off. And <clears throat> like I said, most people only know of Cairo from the Bin Laden mission. And um, there was a whole different side to him other than that. So the, the book kind of covers not only when he was shot and all that stuff, but it also covers his... Uh, and the personal moments that we had with him, uh, especially towards the uh, when I got him retired towards the end of his life, he was a real special dog. He, you know, he was uh, a great worker and he could do his job really well. But once I had him retired, he could be around women and children. I have, I have pictures of him with my uh, my buddy's kids on the couch. He even got attacked by my girlfriend's mom's bulldog. Ooh! Uh, after he was retired, he got his arm flayed a little bit. And he didn't attack him, or he didn't retaliate at all. He just he was real mellow and laid back. He just took wow. it and shook it off. Yeah. Wow. It, the training process, um, does that involve, like, commands that uh, you would have to use to get Cairo or any other service dog like this to maybe attack an enemy or to, um, you know, go uh, sniff out an area for booby traps? Are they are they verbal or hand gestures? Yeah, every every dog is different. Uh, we do both. You can uh, you train your dog to go after any command. If your dog is uh, if he likes rewards, you can you can teach him to go pretty much do anything off the your uh, off the reward system. Were you amazed? I mean, you were a dog lover before becoming a Navy SEAL. You get into the Navy SEALs. You go into the uh, the canine unit. You start working with Cairo. Were you amazed at what you what you could actually teach uh, a dog to do and how um, 
reliable and important they were as part of the team? I was definitely amazed. That's why I was uh, drawn to the dog programs to see what the animals were capable of. And they definitely taught me a lot of things, too, in, in my time, the time I spent becoming a dog tra- trainer or handler. Um, definitely learned a lot of things from the dogs. You have to, <clears throat> you know, you're having to communicate with an animal, and they can't speak. They don't really understand. So for you to get the point across, you have to use your body language, use your voice, your tone of voice, and Sometimes that's not easy, and also, you know, the dogs, we have a saying in the dog training world that your emotions run up and down the leash. If you're having a bad day, mm-hmm. that's going to go down the leash to the dog. He's going to feel that. Mm-hmm. He's going to feel your energy, and he's not, you're not going to have a good day of training. But if you're having a great day and you're happy and you can put some energy behind it, it's going to be great training, and it's, um, it's harder to kind of take a step back sometimes and realize that, you know. Yeah, you know, that's that's an in- important point. We've talked to a lot of uh, folks on this program who are involved in animals in one way or another, and they often say that dogs have an, un- an uncanny ability to sense your emotions and your feelings and your attitudes, and they, in many ways, will mirror them. So that's kind of what you're saying there. Yeah, definitely. Um, even the dogs I have today, they kind of teach me the same stuff to, like, dogs going to feed off your emotions, the same thing you're uh, with your family and your coworkers. You know, if you're happy... They can sense that. They're going to feed off that energy. If you're in a bad mood, they're going to pick up on that, too. So in 2011, you got the call. Uh, You had to go to train for a special mission. Tell us how you got the call and what happened when you went to this special training. I got a call. I was actually at a a school in Arizona with one of my best, best friends. His name is Nick Check. And uh, I got a call saying, return home and go grab Cairo <clears throat> and be in the in the uh, team room the next day. So I would go back to the classroom where my buddy is Nick. And like, hey, we're uh, we're getting called home. And I remember my buddy Nick saying, hey, I'm, not, I'm not getting recalled, called back. And that was really weird to me because you know, I was, Nick was a, a much better guy than I was. He was a better operator. He, he's a great person. He, uh, just weird that he wasn't getting called back, and I was. But I was like, all right, it was. Um, they like, had basically to have fun being here, stuck by yourself, and I took off. But he got me back the next day by telling everybody in the class that I, I ended up quitting. So that was pretty funny. <laughs> and the, uh, you know, being a seal to get through all that hard training, you got to have a pretty good sense of humor. So that's one one people ask, like, how'd you get through all that hard stuff? It's like I was surrounded by a bunch of really good guys, and they all thought they were comedians. <laughs> <laughs> we, all, we all got a really good sense of humor. That's how you get through all the hard times. I bet. Yeah. I bet. He definitely got me good on that one. But I uh, heard that uh, to go pick up Cairo, went back, picked up Cairo, and eventually we were told what we were doing. Put in a lot of training. How long did you... the mission successfully? Uh, so uh, you were told you were told what the mission was uh, before you started actually training for it. You you knew. We were told at some point in time, but we were always training pretty thoroughly. You know, always getting ready for something going on. So it was just, it's pretty much another day, another normal day. Tell us how, tell us what kind of training you had to do for this particular mission. And of course, we're talking about the mission to, uh, to, um, I'm not even sure if it was an intentional mission to kill or if it was an intention to capture. I don't know. And you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. But what kind of training was it? Was, was there a layout of what you knew you were going to be going into? And uh, what else did you have to do? We just talked through a lot of different uh, 
things that might happen. And we conducted rehearsals of everybody's responsibility for that night. Uh, our responsibility, mine and Cairo's, was to do uh, pre sweeps of the perimeter looking for any explosives, any IEDs, <clears throat> any tunnel systems. Uh, once we were done doing sweeps of the perimeter, we went inside and we, we did sweeps of the inside of the building doing the same thing, looking for any explosives or IEDs, booby traps, anywhere somebody might be hiding. And then uh, once we were done with that, we made our way to Exville. We made it all the way back to base. And uh, I can remember looking around when we landed. Everybody was still okay and alive. And we accomplished the mission. And I got to do the whole thing with my dog. And it was a moment I'll never forget. I, I mean, for a lot of reasons, that should be a moment you'll never forget. Because you, we both have said it already tonight. It was a historical moment. Um there must have been you i mean i don't know how much adrenaline flows through your body in a situation like that but it must be significant yeah it was it was really good to you know the mission was accomplished and uh just watching america come together again was a really really great moment uh, definitely one that i won't forget i forget a lot of things these days but i won't forget that when you when you went in to uh Pakistan. How long were you there before you actually went on the mission? Oh, it's hard to put a finger on it. Just, um, I just tried to sleep the whole way there. Basically, it was uh, just another night like any other. I was oh, just trying I to not think about what was going on. Just try to keep my emotions in check. And so, I did you trying to go to sleep? Did you did you leave the United States? Fly right there and. Just go right, go right to this mission, or were you? Did you station in Pakistan for a period before you went in? Uh, we were on base for a little while and uh, kind of waiting for things to happen. Yeah, and talking through a few things. Right, right. Um, again, it's uh, it's an un- it's unbelievable. I remember when you know we were we heard the news of what had happened. I mean. Um, just the the mere fact that we were able to get that kind of intelligence and then uh, execute uh, basically what, from what we could tell or what I could tell outside looking in, a rather flawless execution of, of a mission of that com- complexity and importance. Um, you and all of your team members are to be highly, highly commended for that and definitely earned a lot of respect there. I, um, when you go into something like that, are, are you a confident Hundred percent confident, or, or, or fairly confident that um, that it's going to be as successful as it turned out to be. Yeah, the people who put together the intelligence did a very good job. You can definitely tell they committed a lot of time and basically their life. They had a lot of confidence in everybody who had a a part in the mission, I mean, even the helicopter pilots. Those, those guys are amazing. The guys on the team, like I, I say all the time, I don't want to talk about me. I'll talk about Cairo. <laughs> There's way better guys on the team than me. Um, there's some really amazing guys that you know went from almost dying in a helicopter crash to crushing a mission that you know they didn't even skip a beat. The helicopter pilots were awesome. They, you know, could have turned out a lot worse. You know, everybody, everybody who had something to do with the mission really did a great job. Yeah, well, it 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 shows, and you can tell by how um, well it was executed. Um, when the mission was over, the only name that was made public was was Cairo, was the dog's name. But um, 
Are you at liberty to to give a shout out to any of the other guys involved? And maybe you don't want to, you don't want to miss anybody. I don't know. I think a lot of guys want to remain anonymous. Give a give a shout out to my buddy Rob, <laughs> Rob O'Neill. Yeah, he's a good man. Yeah. Well, they're all, as I can tell, all very very good men. Tell me about um, tell me about uh, about um, your favorite memory of Cairo. I mean, you you worked together for a lot of years. Definitely, there's uh, there's so many great memories. Uh, probably when I got him uh, retired and I got to take him home for the first time, you know, that's, that was a great moment I'll never forget. There's uh, you know, obviously the the big mission that was a that was definitely a moment I'll never forget. It was an honor to be a part of that. And glad everybody was okay at the end of it. You know, it was great to have Cairo with during that time as well. Um, a lot of funny stories. Uh, before uh, before Kyle was actually shot, there was one night where I uh, slept in a little bit, and he filled my boots up with his pee. So that was that's a good that's a good story that's in the book. You know, there's all there's all kinds of good funny stories, there's bad stories, there's tense stories. There's some really good stories. Wow. Um... I mean, and like you said, you know, you, you, Cairo could turn it on and off like a switch. All business, one moment, and then just a playful, almost, uh, you know, family pet uh, at, at another time. It makes it a really, really special relationship, doesn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's like a Navy Silmar, I mean, and everybody knows the kind of bond they have with their animals and their dogs. And then imagine that <clears throat> Cairo getting shot for us, almost dying for us, and then being part of a lot of missions together, including some of the most famous missions. Yeah, that Bond was, was a really close Bond. What happened to Cairo when Cairo got shot? Can you tell us that story? Yeah, he was uh, he was treated just like any other member of the team. Um, he ended up making it back to me after being shot. It took him quite a while. I thought he was dead. And when he got to me, he actually collapsed, and I've never seen him collapse like that so I knew something was wrong and wow. usually dogs that get shot like that they don't survive it's a pretty large round going through a pretty small animal just they usually don't pull through but um, my teammates there was a medic teammate of mine who came off of uh, off of the line to help out and I would definitely say he was a huge part in saving Kyra's life it was, uh, it was really cool to see us work together as a team and as I'm handing him, Kyra had his own medical kit. I had my medical kit. We have one that we carry specifically for the dogs. And I'm handing the guy Kyra's medical kit, and he's stuffing gauze into his chest as I'm putting on his uh, muzzle and taking off his equipment. It was really cool to see that teamwork. And uh, not only that, the helicopter pilots flew in. They put their lives at risk for a dog. They treated him just like a soldier. You know, they didn't care if he was a dog. Yeah. When, uh, when he got back to base, actual surgeons worked on him um, and saved his life. They got him stabilized to get him to a, a veterinarian. And the people there did an amazing job, got him through the night. And uh, even the people that helped rehab him, they did an amazing job. Um, he, got, he made a full recovery. Well, that's, that's, that's terrific. How uh, long in service had Cairo been at that point? Was that uh, toward the end of Cairo's service or beginning, middle? towards the beginning. Oh, really? Yeah. So I guess there's a lot more to Cairo than just, you know, what one the one big mission. 
Did you feel Did you feel a bond with Cairo when you first the first time you met? Yeah, I love the uh, all the dogs are really amazing. These are really special animals. Um, they all had their own temperaments and personalities. But yeah, I definitely felt close to uh, Cairo for sure, along with some of the other ones too. When you you had a, um, an instance toward the end of your active duty service that um, that was a bit traumatic, can you tell us about that? Yeah, in uh, 2012, I was injured by a hand grenade, and after that, I think uh, it's just kind of the the tipping point of a lot of other blasts that has accumulated over the years, along with some other things. Uh, started getting really bad migraines and my hair fell out a couple times, um, memory loss, some other issues. And, uh, kind of one of the reasons to tell him the writing the story, tells Cairo's story, tells what these amazing dogs can do. And also, uh, kind of tells my own personal story as well. And if, I know there's a lot of veterans out there that are, that might be in a bad place. And if telling my personal story and some of the experiences I've been through can help out and, I'm willing to do that for sure. Was that was that um, the turning point for you? Did were you uh, did you leave active duty at that point? I had really good uh, teammates try to take care of me. Uh, they put me through quite a few medical treatments and uh, mm-hmm. tried to get me feeling back to normal. But it took a took a couple of years, and then I eventually uh, medically retired from the Navy. Okay. So when you retired, uh, was Cairo still in service at that point, and did Cairo leave with you, or had, had Cairo already retired? It actually ended up working out to be pretty perfect timing. As I was going through all my medical appointments, Cairo was coming to the uh, end of his working age as well. He was starting to show uh, show signs of old age, and just wasn't able to work anymore. And if I was still working as a SEAL, you know, these are working dogs. Um, the people at the command have to make you know, the right tempered dog has to go to the right family. Um, if not, it could be a problem. If I was still working as a SEAL, I would have been probably too busy to take care of them. Yeah. I was going through my own stuff. Ended up working out. Uh, there's a couple other guys that could have gave him a good home as well, but since I was able to do that, handlers usually get first choice, and I was Cairo's primary handler. And, uh, I got to take him home. I think that was it was very good for me to be able to take care of him towards the end of his life. And he definitely helped me get through a lot of hard things too. Yeah. How how old was Cairo at that point? How how many years had he been in service when when and and then is that typical? Whatever that age is. I guess it varies, but he was about nine years old when he got nine. retired. Nine. How many years did you get to spend with Cairo after you both retired? I spent about a year together. It was, uh, it was a real good year. I ended up buying a motorcycle with a sidecar, so we would take, I'd put him in the sidecar, we'd take trips around town. Oh, wow. <laughs> ended up getting a, yeah, he loved that sidecar. He got a boat, so I don't think he loved getting in the water and getting wet, but I think he loved taking rides on the boat with me. Didn't like getting wet, but I imagine some of the missions he went on, he got wet. Yeah, sometimes you got to get wet. Yeah. You know, it depends on the job. But uh, so so Cairo only lived a year after you retired with him. Yeah, he made it about a year, and it was a, it was a really good year. Mm. I was uh, glad I was able to be there for him towards the end too. Tell me how Cairo helped you. Um, after you retired, you you were still struggling with some things. How did Cairo ease that for you? I was just 
could have a dog around sometimes. We've been through a lot together, and he had a pretty rough go towards the end. So it's just really good to be there for him. And uh, It was therapeutic for you to be there for him. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that and just having a dog around. If you're, if you're a dog person, it could just kind of be beneficial to have a dog around sometimes. So he definitely helped me. This is probably no surprise to you because of how closely you worked with Cairo and you saw not just Cairo but other animals, dogs, in action helping save people, soldiers' lives. But I think that as a society we're starting to recognize just how capable and how valuable and how loving these animals are. And we're starting to use them in a lot of different ways that maybe hadn't been considered before. And I think that's a great place to be, don't you? Well, definitely. I mean, it's one of the reasons of writing the book. I get to tell a little piece of history and talk about my dog. And it brings attention to just how amazing these animals are, not just the military working dogs. Uh, you know, law enforcement has great working dogs, but uh, even service dogs. You know, some amazing service animals, service dogs out there that can do some great stuff. There's search and rescue dogs. There's all kinds of different jobs that these, you know, there's different breeds of dogs that can do different things. And do some amazing things sometimes. Tell me about the process where you decided to write this story, because obviously the story itself is very important to you, but not just important to you because it's very personal to you. I think what I'm sensing is it's important to you to share this story so that it inspires other people. What made you decide to write it? Like I said, uh, when I joined the military, I read all the field books I could get my hands on. It was a huge piece of history. When we accomplished the mission, um, his name was released, and there was some stuff out there that might not have been completely accurate. So I know some people, this would be a great book for anybody who loves dogs, anybody who wants to be a handler, just learn about military and all that stuff. It's, uh, it's very important to me to get the truth out there, too. How much of the book uh, focuses on the Osama bin Laden raid? Is, the, is that a big part of it, or is, is there so much that you wanted to share that it's uh, that it's a smaller part of it? That's a big part of it, but there's a, there's a lot more to it than that. That's for sure. If you um if you had an opportunity to uh, basically share uh, with a new handler some wisdom about how you you best work with with an animal, whether that's in a military application or maybe just a, a service dog application for somebody who needs that, uh, what kind of advice would you give them? Just say try to be patient. <laughs> you know, you're working with a with an animal. There's a lot of stuff that you can learn from these animals. Just like I said earlier, they can. You have to keep your emotions in check. You have to keep uh, your feelings in check. If you're going to be giving dogs a bad, uh, if you're in a bad mood, it's going to be bad training. Then what's the point? And it's kind of hard for people to do that sometimes. Yeah. You can incorporate that in a lot of a lot of places. If you're going to walk into the room and yell at your kids because you're in a bad mood, but if you take a step back and just relax. And, you walk into the mood into the room in a good mood. That's a, that's a huge thing. So I think that's one of the biggest things: patience and just enjoy the process as you're in it. Because uh, once it's over, you'll probably miss it. You miss it? Oh yeah, I miss the guys quite a bit. You, you, obviously, there's a there's a camaraderie and a brotherhood um, that probably doesn't exist in any other form. Uh, it's probably a deeper connection to the to the the people that are around you because of what you were doing and 
and how much you relied on each other than any other situation. I imagine that's difficult to be without. Do you still maintain uh, close contact with some of the guys you worked with? Yeah, I do. I talked to a few guys. and uh, Yeah, we're like one big family, so we're pretty close. Tonight we're talking with Will Chesney. This is a very inspirational, in in some ways um, heartwarming story. Uh, Will has written a book about his experiences as a canine handler for the Navy SEALs. His dog's name was Cairo, and the book is called No Ordinary Dog, My Partner from the SEAL Teams to the Bin Laden Raid. Uh, Raid. Will, is the book uh, available now? Yeah, it should be available in all bookstores and anywhere online. So it's easy to get. Um, Obviously, we've gone through a very, very unusual time. I, I would not compare it to anything that you've gone through as a Navy SEAL. However, a lot of Americans are struggling with the fact that this COVID virus is keeping them basically quarantined at home. Restaurants, bars are closed. Most of the places that we go to socialize are closed. Uh, many stores and businesses are closed still, although some of this is starting to loosen up. But do you have any advice for people, uh, especially people with dogs, how they can make the best of this time? I just um, I like to think these dogs teach me to be present these days. You know, the dogs don't uh, they don't dwell on the past. They don't think about the future. They just live in the moment. Uh, these dogs definitely remind me of that. You can use that with your family members as well. Just coming home from the military, I noticed that some of my family isn't here anymore. And if you have the opportunity these days, you can't be around your family members. Give them a call, reach out, and just try to be present these days. Make as most of it as you can, and uh, we'll all get through this together. And one of the things that I know you do a lot of work with now is you work with soldiers who are struggling um, with uh, PSTD um, or PTSD, excuse me, and other uh, brain veteran brain health issues. What kind of work are you doing and what kind of advice do you have uh, for someone who might be related to or have a friend who's struggling with some of these issues? I'm just definitely trying to get into the traumatic brain injury, the TBI space, and help guys out with that. Um, <clears throat> if there's anyone out there having issues with that, um, you know, it's a tough thing to get through, but there are really good people out there that are, are willing to help, and there's a lot of different uh, modalities out there to try. You know, I'd say uh, give give all these different ones, whether it's breathing, meditating, some of these uh, treatment places, um, Float tanks, there's all kinds of different diet, fasting. Um, you know, try a couple of different things out and give it a good shot. Sometimes it doesn't you know, take effect immediately. Sometimes you have to use one or two things together. But uh, there's definitely some really good programs and some really good people out there that are willing to give you a hand. And if you know anybody that's uh, in a bad place, reach out to them. <clears throat> Say if you know you're in a bad place, reach out too. But it's not always easy to do sometimes. I know I didn't. took my best friend. Uh, Jared Shaw reaching out to me and bringing me to one of the, my, my first brain treatment places through the Brain Treatment Foundation, and uh, that was kind of one of my first steps on my road to recovery. So if you know of anybody that's in a bad place, just maybe reach out to them. We've heard stories of uh, families who um, struggle with a member of the family who who has is dealing with these types of issues, and it in, in some cases it can break up the family. How do we how do we help prevent that? Um, in addition to getting the service member some help, how do we help the family weather it and stick together and come out the other side? 
I think there's some really great programs out there that can help you get through it. And just try to bring attention to some of the good people out there doing great things. Uh, it's not an easy thing to get through sometimes, but there are people out there that'll help. What about dogs? How can dogs help in this? I guess if you're a dog person, just having your dogs around can definitely be beneficial. I mean, uh, sometimes they can help you uh, relax, maybe uh, if you're getting worked up over something. <laughs> they can probably sense that and kind of maybe give you a nudge and have you calm down a little bit. We have a very surprisingly uh, divided country right now, politically. Uh, most of the, in previous cases, when we the country was facing a challenge like we're facing right now with this uh, COVID virus, we see some unity and some um, people coming together to try to support one another. But in this case, we're seeing something very, very different. Uh, you must have some thoughts on this, and I'm sure that uh, you can speak for Cairo as well. What are your thoughts on how divided we are as a country right now? I think we'll get through anything. I think we'll all come together, no problem. It's just uh, take a little bit of time, but you know we always get through the hard times for sure. Just got to stay strong and come together. You know what amazes me? It amazes me, Will, that um, everything you've been through and and everything you've done for the nation, yet you are so modest and humble about all of this. And I don't expect you to brag by any means. But um, I don't know. I I guess it makes me even more respectful of you as a person and what you've done because, um, you know, you've done some amazing things for us as a nation. And just just in the short time we've talked tonight, I've learned that. So um, my thanks to you again. I really appreciate that. uh, It's a big responsibility to tell Cairo's story and be respectful of uh, all the guys that was on the team with me. Uh, you know, I said there's a lot better guys out there than me, so I just want to be honest about that as possible. Some great men on the team, and it's an honor to be able to tell Cairo's story. Let's hope I did a good job doing it. I think I think we have. Well, I, and I think you have too. And I know a lot of people in our. Um, well, actually, let me let me ask another question that that someone in our chat room just asked. Uh, we know what happened to Cairo when Cairo retired. You got the blessing of bringing Cairo home and making Cairo a family pet for the rest of Cairo's life. Is that what happens to all of these service animals when they retire, or most of them anyway? Do they get an opportunity to go home with their handler or uh, someone else? Yeah, I would say most of these dogs do. Every branch is different. They all have their different rules and regulations. Uh, some you know, like these dogs have different personalities, just like everybody. If the dog... Um, isn't the right fit for a home, then there's good foundations out there. Um, no reason for writing the books. They're bringing attention to the great foundations. Uh, Mike Ritland has uh, the Warrior Dog Foundation, where he takes some of these dogs that can't find the, the proper home, and he takes them in and takes care of them. So um, a lot of good people out there doing stuff for them, too. This may be yeah, this may be a, a, an odd question, and I don't mean it to be disrespectful. I just know that some, you know some of these dogs are trained for very, very specific purposes or missions um are are any of them uh, at the end of their career are they dangerous at all or are they all able to pull that out back and and be as docile as cairo seemed to be when the switch was quote-unquote off well every every dog is different some dogs might be a little more aggressive than others you just have to find the right yeah. home for them yeah, yeah. So you just gotta find the right I mean, the, the people that are in charge of all the dogs they do a very good job at that 
you have to go through a very rigorous selection and screening before uh, taking any of these dogs home. I was actually talking with Mike about it the other day, and a lot of people want to adopt these dogs, but they don't understand that some of these dogs, you have to be very careful with them. You have to treat them with respect, and they're just not, you know, if they are prone to biting and you have little children running around, it's probably not going to be a good thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Again, you did tell the story very, very well, and and you did a great job tonight of telling us about it. Uh, in addition to that, but if someone is uh, is, and I know a lot of people in our in our group are are looking at purchasing the book. So, if someone picks up the book and reads it. What are you hoping when they've read that last word on the last page and they set down the book? What are you hoping they feel inside? I just hope they uh, feel like they learned a little something, a little part of history, and they learned a little bit about. Cairo and just the amazing things we got to do together and some of the it brings attention to not only the dogs, but all the guys and just I just hope they uh everybody feels like they got something out of it. Do you still talk to Cairo? I have him in the urn. He goes he goes a few places with me still. I don't fly with him much these days because uh, you gotta check him through security and it gets weird but if I'm driving somewhere, I might throw him in my backpack and we'll go take a road trip. Uh, well, and you said you have other dogs now too, right? Yeah, I have a couple of Belgian Malinois and they keep me really busy. <laughs> One of the things I tell the people is don't go out and buy a working dog of any sort, especially a Malinois, unless you know what you're getting into. Because they're not breeds that everybody should have. You know, If you, if you have a small apartment, you're going to be gone for 8-10 hours a day and mm-hmm. you buy a Malinois. You're going to come home to a new apartment. He's going to rearrange it for you. (laughs) Don't buy any sort of working dog. Husky, if you buy a hunting dog, take the dog hunting. You know, just just do your research before you purchase one of these animals. But I have two of them, and they keep me really busy. What part of the country do you live in, Will? I travel quite a bit these days, but I spend a lot of time in Texas. Texas, nice, nice. Well, yeah, the quarantine has kind of shut down traveling for a bit. Yeah, back on the road soon. Yeah. yeah, I think we're all feeling that itch. Um, yeah. let, let people know again where they can get a hold of the book. Plus, I know you have a, a Facebook page and anything else that you want people to uh, to visit or keep track of. Yeah, should be able to pick it up on Amazon, no problem. And it's No Ordinary Dog Book on Facebook and Instagram. No Ordinary Dog Book. And I think I think when I was doing a little bit of show prep here, I, I stumbled upon something else on Facebook that was similar. So you got to have the book in there. No Ordinary Dog Book. Mm-hmm. Great. Should be no Ordinary Dog Book on Facebook and Instagram. Great. Well, uh, thanks for being here tonight. And once again, thank you for your service. Um, and thank you to Cairo. Uh, Cairo, obviously very, very special. And I'm, I'm certain you miss Cairo. And I, I'm, I'm certain the Navy misses Cairo as well. Yeah, I don't miss him all the time. Yeah, he was a great pup. But, uh, thanks for having me on. appreciate it. Best of luck to you, and best of luck to your book, and thank you for working with other uh, veterans that are struggling with some of these issues as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, have a great night. God bless. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.